All right, today I want to uh, switch gears a little bit, and um, Pastor Tim's been doing a series on hell, so um, I decided to speak on meekness and humility. Um, I just felt it was really time to take a look at this character trait that is so lacking in the body of Christ. So I just wanted to go over this with you today. So our scripture today, if you have your Bibles, will be from Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. It's up here on the screen. I don't know if you can read it, but it says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So a very familiar passage, very familiar scripture. Um, anybody that's been a Christian for more than 10 minutes is probably familiar with this. And uh, so what is humility? What is meekness? You know, how does the dictionary describe it? And basically, the definition for humility is to have a modest or low view of one's own importance. It's a humbleness. And some synonyms for the word is modesty, humbleness, meekness, diffidence, lack of pride, or lack of vanity. And the opposite, the antonym of humility is pride. So pride is the polar opposite, right? So um, humility is not thinking less of yourself. So many times when we hear this definition to have a low opinion, but it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So I'll say that again. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So when we hear that definition about having a low opinion, it doesn't mean start degrading yourself, saying, I'm no good, I'm slime, I'm a maggot. It doesn't mean that. It means have an honest assessment of where you are and who you are versus pride, which is an inflated, right, overly important statement of who you think you are. So it's having that honest opinion. I like this quote by St. Augustine. He said, it was pride that changed angels into devils, and it was humility that makes men as angels. I think that's a great quote. But pride is the opposite of humility. So when you talk about humility, it's good to talk about the counter of it, which is pride. And it's become a societal virtue, hasn't it? It's replaced it and supplanted humility as a virtue, even in our society as well as our churches. With pride, pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. Right? Ever meet a prideful person? They're really defensive, aren't they? But what really sparked me to, to rekindle this and bring this message up was I was recently reading an article uh, about the Pope, Pope Francis. And I uh, don't want to cause any controversy here, but the Pope is considered the human leader of the church, right? We, we understand that Jesus Christ is the leader of the church, the Christian church. But in the world's eyes, in society's eyes, they would probably acknowledge the Pope as the leader of the Christian church, right? But as Protestants, I understand we're not under the authority of the Pope, so put away your emails, I don't need them. But, but I'm just bringing up the Pope as a point of reference because as the perceived leader of the Christian church in the world's eyes, he came out last week and said, listen, he said, it's time that we stop living as Christians in a worldly way, in a worldly fashion, that we put away all pride 
and arrogance, and we start walking humbly and in meekness and low in spirit. And I thought, wow, that's coming from the leader of the church calling out the church. And so I just thought it was a litmus test. It's kind of a temperature of where we're at, isn't it? And I think if you talk to a lot of people about the church, they would say that the church is prideful nowadays, right? But we have this epidemic of pride, and it's just running rampant everywhere. And it's really um, kind of respected in our culture and our society to be prideful. And we live in this self-centered, I call it kind of a cell phone, smartphone culture, don't we? Um, it's everywhere, and I'm not making fun of anybody, but, you know, we all do it, you know? All the selfies, right, and all the um, images that we take. Everywhere we go, we have a, a camera with us, don't we? Our phones have cameras built in them. We're constantly taking photographs of, look what I'm eating, look what I'm doing right now, look what I'm reading, <laughs> right? And it's all about us, and we got to post it to the whole world can see. I just checked in here, I just checked out there, and, and just... It's such a, a society that we live in, and it's all centered around ourself and over pride, isn't it? In fact, pride taken to its extreme becomes narcissism, right? Self-love. Um, I saw this quote, Mark Cuban, if you know who he is, um, everyone knows who he is, I hope, but he says, humility, when I die, I want to come back as me. Man, that is a, that is a dangerous statement, isn't it? But you know what? It exposes his heart. I checked him out. He's worth over 2.2 billion, I'm talking billion with a B, dollars. So this man is a pretty smart man, isn't he? But he's so in love with himself, and if anybody's ever heard an interview with him or heard him speak, uh, he's probably one of the most narcissistic people you've ever seen in your life. Contrast that with um, Mike Bickle, a pastor, and he says this, the gravitational pull of our hearts is towards pride. All you have to be alive for more than five minutes and you know that pride is the first thing that starts tugging on your heart, right? And so it's no wonder that it's just innate in us. It's wired in us. It's the anti-humility thing, isn't it? And so instead of humility being the gravitational pull, it's usually pride in our lives. So how do we go about changing that? How do we change things up? So I think the answer is here in Matthew. Um, and um, this other quote by Mike Bickle I really think is great. He says, humility or meekness is the magnet that attracts God's favor. So if you start living that way, everything changes. So this scripture again, Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, or meek and humble, is what that translates to, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's just break that down for a minute. For those who are weary and burdened, or some translations say heavy laden, um, I don't know about you, but it includes emotional pain, stress, weariness, and we're a weary society, aren't we? We're a weary church, and as Christians, what, what are people seeing on us? The same thing they see on each other. We're just weary, aren't we? How many times do you see someone walk in a room and they just like almost collapse because they're so weary? But that shouldn't be true with us. We should be vibrant. We should be powerful. We should be just beaming with the light of Christ, 
and we should be changing the atmosphere. Instead of dimming down the room, we should be lightening up the room, shouldn't we? And so we have this weariness, we have this burden, we're all heavy laden. So how do we break out of that pattern? How do we break out of that cycle? How do we enter into the rest of God? Because he says here in this verse that I will give you rest. The rest of the Lord is, is promised for freedom, for happiness, for joy, for peace. And I don't know about you, but I'm longing to have that rest upon my soul so that when I walk into a place, I'm changing the atmosphere. And I take a chaotic situation and I can just bring peace to it. Has that ever happened for you? Has that ever happened to you where you've actually changed the atmosphere? I just love it. It's happened sometimes when, when I'm around. Not a lot. Sometimes I can inflame things, but I always try to bring peace into a situation, a calmness, God's rest. And that's what we should strive for. So again, how do we get there? Jesus says this. He says, learn from me. Learn from me. The most significant issue in being a disciple of Jesus is to learn humility from him. We're to regularly ask him to teach us about it, to give us insight, to help us to embrace it. So Jesus says, follow my lead. Do what I'm doing. Watch me and imitate me. It's an invitation, isn't it? He's saying, check this out and do likewise. So we need to learn from him and follow his way. I love Moses. I've shared with you guys many times. Exodus 33 is one of my favorite scripture. But when Moses encounters God, and what does he do? He falls on his face and he says, oh God, teach me your way. He goes, I just want to be just like you. He says, what else will distinguish us from all the other people in the world unless we have your presence, unless we're just like you? And what happened to Moses? He got to see the glory of God, didn't he? From behind, and his face had to be, he had to veil his face, didn't he? Because the glory of God shone so brightly upon him. Wouldn't it be cool if you had to walk around with kind of a mask covering you because you're blinding everybody because the glory of God is so strong upon you? They say, what is different about this person? And so Jesus says, follow me, I'll teach you my way. What a great promise. And then he ends it by saying, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It speaks of our ability to enjoy every moment in walking together with him. If you understand what a yoke is, um, I had a picture earlier, but it's when they put two ox or two labor animals together and they would yoke them with a wooden yoke across their necks so they'd walk together in, in sync, right? And so usually what they would do is they'd take a more seasoned, a more learned ox, I guess, and hook it up with a rookie ox. And so that rookie ox would always be straining against that yoke, right? Because they don't want to be, number one, harnessed to anybody else because they're young and they have a lot of power. And what are they doing? They're always straining against that yoke, aren't they? They're always trying to go the opposite way. And they're getting blisters on their shoulders and their neck. And they're always in so much pain and so tired because they're working so hard against that yoke. But when you settle in, when you understand that yoke, that yoke gives you power, gives you ability, and it gives you purpose to walk together. And when we become yoked with Christ, everything changes, doesn't it? When we stop straining against it, we find out, hey, this is really kind of easy, right? I think of when I was a little boy and my dad would let me help him carry something, right? It's like, man, this TV isn't so heavy. You know, I got my end and I didn't realize it was my dad. It was all his strength, right? 
So my part of it was pretty easy because he was just letting me tag along for the ride. And that's what Jesus says, right? Come along for the ride and, and it'll be really easy because he does the heavy lifting, doesn't he? And so why not harness yourself to Jesus? It makes things so much easier. I know when I used to ride motorcycles and someone would ask you for a ride, it was always hard if you had someone who'd never been on a motorcycle before because they're sitting behind you. And if they don't lean with you, and if they're not in sync with you, if they're not yoked to you, what happens? They become a counterbalance, don't they? And it's really hard when, when you're riding and you're going at a great speed, and all of a sudden, I don't know if anybody here has ridden a motorcycle, but those handlebars don't turn like a bicycle handlebar, right? You have to lean and, and lean into a curve, lean into a turn. And if someone's behind you and you're leaning this way and they're sitting straight up or they're leaning the opposite way, all of a sudden things can go out of control really quick, can't they? And so we need to get in sync with God. We need to be as one with him, right? That's why when you ride a motorcycle, scoot in, hug me around the waist, lean with me. If I lean right, you lean right. If I lean left, you lean left, right? So things go easy and you stay on course. And many times when we're not staying in sync with Jesus, things get off course in a hurry, don't they? Just one quick example, one more. Um, I remember we had a collie, beautiful dog, but we couldn't teach him how to walk on a leash, so we decided to take him to obedience school. And uh, we went to this one obedience school, and they taught how to use a choke chain. And uh, some people think that's cruel. And so I, I thought, wow, this is kind of a different way to train a dog, because I wasn't familiar with the, the process. But I became a quick believer because the teacher asked the first five minutes of the class, who has a dog that strains on the leash? So this one guy raised his hand, and he had a Marmaduke. You know what those Marmaduke dogs look like? They're like small horses, like a pony. The heads are huge on those things. And so this teacher took that dog, and sure enough, the first time across the room, that dog was just jerking her like she was water skiing. She turned around, went back. The dog was leading her again. She reared up and she popped that chain and that dog yelped. He reared back and then turned and started this way again. The dog started to lead. She popped that chain. She did that three times. On the fourth time across the room, that dog was right by her side and he anticipated her every move. If she faked right, that dog faked right. She faked left, he faked left. He stayed right alongside because he understood if he got too far ahead, he was going to be snapped back into line, right? And that's, again, how it is being yoked. If you strain against the leash, if you fight against it, you're going to get popped, right? And I know a lot of times we're praying for people who are going in the wrong direction. And sometimes, believe it or not, they got to get their chain popped, right? And uh, that's how we learn, unfortunately, right? Sometimes we need that negative reinforcement. But uh, just to let you know, my wife and the dog got kicked out of class because she, uh, she refused to pop the chain. <laughs> so uh, she was asked to leave. So, but that's how Jesus is, right? He's, he's in sync with God. He's, he's yoked equally with God, and, and he's doing everything that God does. And that's what he said, right? He says, I don't do anything unless I see my Father in heaven doing it. That was his lead on everything. That was his example. And so we need to be yoked with him. The next thing is talking about being poor in spirit. If you look at the Beatitudes, 
The first beatitude starts with being poor in spirit, which translates again to humility. Uh, we need to have that deep sense of being low or poor in spirit to understand our lowest state and where we're really at. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for those who understand right where they're at spiritually because they're the people who are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven because he can work with them. He can use them, can he? And then the third beatitude is interesting because it goes in to say, blessed are the meek because they'll inherit the earth. So if you're meek and you're humble, you get not only the earth, but you get the kingdom as well. Two great promises if we walk in those attitudes, right? And then the, the last point there is we want to um, understand that by nature we're proud. The gravitational pull of our hearts is towards pride. And we need to really resist that. And most of us, if I was to go around this room and ask you if you're prideful, oh, of course not. I'm not prideful, right? Because for society's sake, we like to put a good face on. We don't like to admit that that's where we're at in our hearts a lot of times. So we understand how to put up a good front. In fact, it masquerades itself sometimes as even false humility, doesn't it? But just recognize that, that pride is at work at all times. And we have to ask ourselves, am I being yoked to Christ right now, or am I being prideful? Am I straining at that yoke? So today... I just want to look at um, seven evidences of humility. And they can also be looked at, the counter of them would be evidences of pride. So the first one, to prove that you are humble, and usually with humility, once you think you have it, you lost it, right? Because you become prideful about how humble you are. So you have to be on guard about that. But the first one is having a teachable spirit being eager to learn from others and easy to correct. Humility is quick to hear or to be taught and slow to speak and correct and instruct other, others. Pride seeks to quickly speak or teach others instead of being quick to be taught. So, um, scripture that I really like is found in James, James 1.19. I think we all know that scripture pretty well. It says, um, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And I'll tell you what, all of you who are discipling people, this is a great place to start right here. In fact, the book of James, I would encourage everybody to go home this week and make that a goal to read through the book of James. It's a very short book. It's five chapters. But I'll tell you what, it's Christianity 101. And it has a whole lot to say about humility and humbling yourself. And this is right in the beginning, James 1.19. And, and three principles that I try to put into practice all the time. Being swift or quick to hear. Being slow to speak and slow to wrath. I'll tell you, hearing is something that is a lost art in our society, isn't it? We go to school and what do they teach you? You go for speech class, right? They teach you how to talk, how to speak. When you go to school, they teach you composition or writing. But when was the last time you ever heard of someone having a class on hearing? And hearing is such an important thing, how to be a good listener. And again, like I said, it's a dying art. It just breaks my heart when I walk in a restaurant and I'll see a table full of people, maybe a family or four teenagers, and what are they doing? They're all texting, they're all on their phones, and none of them is listening to the other. And you can just feel the loneliness, can't you, when you walk by those tables 
because they're so isolated, they're so alone. They're sitting shoulder to shoulder, but they're not communicating because they're not listening to one another. So I just really encourage people to listen. The next one is being slow to speak. Pride rushes in all the time with the answer, doesn't it? Always want to impress other people with how much we know or who we know, um, you know, what we figured out, what we learned from, from the Bible, the Word, and we're just gushing all the time with information because we think we're so important. And so when was the last time you said, I'm going to let the other person talk? I'm just going to be slow to speak. That's amazing to have someone actually do that nowadays. And then the third one is to be slow to anger, slow to wrath. You know, we're so quick to be offended, aren't we? So quick to fly off the handle. So quick to prove how macho we are or how much strength we have or how we can intimidate the other person and, and just show our disapproval by just bringing down our wrath. And so James says we should do the opposite. We should be slow to do these things. I remember I used to go to a men's meeting where my spiritual fathers would mentor men. They would open up their home on a Saturday morning, and this place would be packed because we had two of the wisest sages that you ever met in your life. And these elderly gentlemen would just sit there. And it was an hour and a half meeting, and every Saturday morning I would just dread it because I went there, that was one of my drinking pools, and I just loved to sit under these men's feet because they would just gush wisdom. They would just gush the love of Christ, and they were just saintly, godly men. But what would happen every Saturday without fail? Someone would come to that meeting, and they would dominate the meeting. Bup, 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 bup. Talk, 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 talk. Me, 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 me. My, 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 my. And they wouldn't stop, and it would just drive me crazy. Like, would you guys just be quiet for a couple minutes? Let these guys talk? Because when they talked, every time, they'd start talking at the end, and a hush would fall over the room. And to me, it was like listening to Jesus or one of the apostles when they talked. I mean, you wouldn't dare speak because all of a sudden, that first 80 minutes of the 90-minute meeting, these people are thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness, I am so prideful. If I would have just had a little humility to sit back and listen, I could drink deep of this wisdom, of this knowledge. Older people, I can't tell you, I just really revere each and every one of you, your wisdom, your experience, and whenever anybody that has a little gray around their temples, I'm all ears because I want to learn, I want to know the history, the wisdom, the life experience that you bring to the table is precious and priceless. And that's why I'm always trying to get the generations together. Young people learn from these older people because they have so much to give, so much to impart, so much to bless you with. And if you could just be humble and, and listen to them. It's amazing the mistakes and, and the things, the heartaches that you would save yourself along the way. And older people, I just encourage you, don't be afraid of the younger generation. Esteem them. Welcome them. They have so much to offer. Um, they're just a blast to be around. You can tap into their energy, their strength, their exuberance, and, and they're willing to try anything. And they're not tainted with some of the uh, things that we're tainted with, right? So many times we're cynical, but they're not. They're pure and they're precious. And, and they just want to succeed in life. And they need someone to mentor them and to steer them, to guide them. I thank God for my spiritual mentors. 
and that God has blessed me with godly men to point me and to steer me in the right direction. And again, whenever they talk, whenever they offer guidance, I am all ears because I want to know, I want to learn from them. So the greatest advice you can give to anyone who you're discipling is right here in the book of James. And read the entire book because, like I said, it's Christianity 101. Um, The second evidence that I want to talk about is people who are humble see their personal faults. Humility is quick to take responsibility for personal faults. Pride does not see personal faults. It's defensive instead of being quick to acknowledge its errors. Recently, as we're praying, and I think I've explained to you guys every Friday as a staff, the pastors, we meet. We meet right in the prayer room. I want to introduce the prayer room again. It's right here. Um, It's open all the time. And encourage you to go in there because that's the place of encounter, isn't it? And I realize you can pray for home. You can pray anywhere and encounter God. But there's something special when you come together and you pray corporately. So as we go in there and we pray, the Lord's been telling us uh, to take inventory. You know, take inventory. And I think he means that in a personal level. I think he means it at a church level, right? He means it at a city level. And have an honest assessment. Where are we? What are we doing? This whole thing about seeing personal fault, it's the difference between reacting and responding. So much of my day in counseling is working with people who constantly react to things. And I have to train them to stop reacting and start responding. Right? There's a world of difference, isn't there? Because all of a sudden, whenever we have one of our faults confront us, we want to cover it up, don't we? We want to fight back, or we want to be offended. And so we lash out right away, our first instinct to cover up, right? Even happened in the garden, right, when Adam transgressed. It was Eve, it was the woman that you gave me. And so we need to stop reacting and start responding. We need to start praying, Lord, show me what's really going on here. Um, We shouldn't be offended by those who are critics, but we need to learn from them. I heard a great story, and I may have shared this before. If I did, I'm sorry. But um, there was an account of a pastor, Mike Bickle. I've mentioned him before. And he was a young pastor. This probably happened 20 years ago. And he came into Kansas City, Missouri, moved his ministry from St. Louis to Kansas City. And when he did, he came on the scene with a lot of vigor, a lot of energy. He was a young pastor, and he was making some pretty bold statements. And he was proud as a peacock. And uh, he did not blend in well with the ecumenical um, minister's society. And so he became kind of fodder for all the other pastors in the area. You know, who's this young upstart coming into our city and stirring things up? And Mike would make some bold claims, and it was his zeal for the Lord. And so one of the ministers, a Baptist minister, took his offense to the newspaper, the local newspaper. He took out a full-page ad calling Mike Bickle a heretic and listed 12 offenses against Mike, calling this man out in the paper, which, as a church, we should not be using the secular press to air our differences, should we? So when Mike got this, he called a friend of his, and his friend Rick came, and as Rick was reading each one of these charges, he was getting more and more offended because he knew Mike. He knew Mike's heart. He knew Mike wasn't what these things were charging him with. 
and he was getting more and more upset, and he was starting to show his outrage. And Mike said, stop. He said, Rick, he said, I didn't invite you here to defend me. He said, I asked you to come here to tell me, are any of these things that this man is saying about me true? What a difference. That's a teachable spirit, isn't it? When we use our critics to learn from, now a lot of times our critics may be wrong, they may be off base, they may be exaggerating claims about us, but usually it's always based on a nugget of truth, isn't it? So when someone comes against you, take that as free research, right? They're doing you a favor and say, is this so? And pray about it. Lord, show me. Is anything in their charges accurate? And if it is, I want to change. Because those are the things that tell us where we're straining at that yoke, aren't they? They're the ones that are showing us where our blisters are. And so I just want to encourage you to see your personal faults, have an accurate assessment of who you really are. Number three on this slide is having a grateful spirit. You can tell someone who's humble because they have a grateful spirit, don't they? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, to be joyful always, pray continually, and, or, I'm sorry, be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks at all times, right? And I love that, because if you look at it and you examine it, it says, be joyful. That's a verse. That's 516. It just says, be joyful. Those two words are a verse. So how can I be joyful all the time? By 517 says, pray continually. And then 518 says, give thanks in all things. And if you read a little bit further, it says, why do these things? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if we can have that grateful heart, and if we can have that attitude of gratitude, all of a sudden we're walking in humility, we're walking in meekness, because you know what? We understand we're getting a far better deal than we deserve, aren't we? I mean, each and every one of us, if we got what we deserved, we would be in big trouble. So a grateful heart acknowledges, man, Lord, you hooked me up here. I got the, the biggest upgrade I could have because of how you're treating me and what you've done for me. Evidence for, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the next few, but evidence for is it um, sees the value of others. Pride is self-absorbed, right? It's always thinking of yourself, always focused on yourself. But when you start considering others and you see their value, all of a sudden there's an exchange, isn't there? There's something that happens in the spirit realm. There's kind of a transaction there when you start to recognize or esteem someone better than yourself and you start to acknowledge them and their giftedness, they light right up, don't they? A lot of times when I get teenagers in my office to counsel, all I do is I just start speaking what God is showing to me what their value is. And all of a sudden, you just see these kids, they're like floating on my couch. It's like, man, they're two inches off that sofa because they're so beaten down. They're so berated all the time. And all you have to do is say, I see value in you. I see God has created you for something. You have a destiny you have a purpose, you have a call, and we can put that to work. We can use that to further and advance the kingdom. Now you give them a sense of mission, guess what? Everything changes, doesn't it? So start looking and seeing the value in others. I do that all the time. Lord, show me something about them. You know, and whatever it is, start your conversation. Wow, that's a skateboard? I've never seen one like that before. Did you paint that yourself? I mean, just, just start going. Are you an artist? 
You know, and I'm not talking about flattering them, but start keying in on what it's, what's important to them, right? And all of a sudden, you'll see them change. And that humility that just starts coming out of you will start drawing humility out of them as well, won't it? Um, number five, it's kind with faults. People who are humble are patient people, and they're willing to let other people make mistakes. We're prideful people will hammer you, right? They're quick to point out your fault and your mistakes, and they'll rub your nose and your face in them. But when you're humble, it's like, it's okay. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's going to be a life lesson, and, and you're going to use that to teach somebody else. And everything is fixable. I loved when my wife would say that to my kids. That was her greatest advice to our kids all the time. Whenever they'd have some kind of slip up, my wife was right there to say, it's okay, everything's fixable. And that just ministers peace to someone's soul, doesn't it? That's a humble response versus, you spilled the milk again? What's wrong with you? you know? Or whatever pride would lead you to say in a situation. So it's being kind with faults. And uh, it makes a huge difference. Uh, number six, it does good in secret. Again, we understand the difference between prideful giving and humble giving. I don't need to really hammer that point home, hopefully. But whenever we give anything, we should do it in great humility. Right? The Bible says don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And, and don't boast to people. Make great show of whatever you're doing. But do it in secret because that's the humble way to give. It's not trying to put on a show for others to see. And then number seven talks about seeks the benefit of others. I just love when people are looking out for the interest of other people. And uh, I just know so many times when someone has come to my defense, how refreshing that is. You know, instead of everyone piling on and going with whatever the rumor is or whatever someone is charging you with, and everybody's, yeah, I think he's the same way. But what if people would start seeing the good and, and start understanding that, that uh, I want to see the benefit in that person and I want to bless them and speak good over them? I remember when... Um, my spiritual father first met me, and uh, he introduced me to his father, and, and so who I consider my spiritual grandfather. Every time my name would come up, he would say, oh, Ron Zettel. He goes, a man with no guile. And uh, so my friends were coming up to me and saying, why does Warren, every time they say your name, always say, a man with no guile? And I'm like, man, i got to take exception to that myself, <laughs> you know, because that wasn't who I was. You know, I was just newly saved, and I'm sure I had a lot of guile in me when I was coming out of the world, but this man would always say that. But you know what? He saw something prophetically in me. He saw how God had wired my heart. He saw my desire to be open and honest without any scheming, and that man was calling that out in me, and so he was able to see the good. And you know what that did for me? It set the bar, didn't it? It's like, I want to be known as that. In fact, that'd be kind of cool to have on my tombstone one day because he saw that and it raised the bar for me to where I wanted to live that way and to live in accordance with that. And so that's how we should be with humility as well, right? So I was talking not too long ago. So these are seven evidences and uh, there's probably more, but those are the ones I wanted to cover today. But just to reinforce a little bit, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's a, a millionaire, millionaire several times over, and uh, he doesn't give out money, by the way, so <laughs> I haven't benefited financially from our relationship, but I've benefited a lot because, you know what, I'm slow to speak. I'm quick to listen. 
And whenever I'm around this man, I'm constantly seeking his advice, his counsel, his wisdom, right? I'm not trying to impress him with how little I know. I want to know what he knows. And I constantly ask him this one question. I've asked him probably five times. He probably thinks I'm goofy, but I just want to know. I'm like, Larry, I said, what do you see that makes entrepreneurs successful? What's the difference between the ones that make it and the ones that don't? And he's always quick to answer the question this way. He says, first of all, he says, the, the millionaires I work with, the entrepreneurs I work with, who, who really succeed, they're teachable people. He said, they're teachable. He says, I can go into their situation, and I can tell them everything they're doing wrong, and they take it to heart, and, and they learn from my wisdom. And they're very teachable, very trainable. Prideful entrepreneurs won't hear from anybody else. They won't take lessons from anybody else. They want to blaze their own path, do it their own way. He says the second thing, they know their faults, they know their weaknesses, they know their shortcomings. Most entrepreneurs think they got it all down and they got it all figured out and they can do it better than anybody else. He says they know their faults, they know their weaknesses. And the third thing he says, they see the value in others. So they're able to esteem others to say, that guy is more expert in something that I'm not an expert in. And so I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to employ him, I'm willing to follow his lead, even though I might be the president of the company, I defer to him when it comes to um, you know, rocket science, he's my man, right? And I'm the businessman. And they understand they can do that, and it makes all the difference in the world between being prideful and being humble in your leadership, right? And so basically what Larry is telling me, he's not using the Christian vernacular, but he's saying the guys that really go far are the ones that are humble, and the people who don't go far are the ones who are filled with pride. So I just thought that was an interesting lesson. So today I just want to encourage you to have the Lord teach you humility. He said, learn from me. He'll show you. He'll teach you. He'll guide you. You just have to be teachable. So ask yourself, am I teachable? Am I able to learn from him? Am I able to take this yoke? Am I willing to take this yoke to be harnessed? Or do I just want to blaze my own path? Do I want to blaze my own trail? Or do I want to seek the wisdom and the counsel of the Bible and Jesus' own words that say, be yoked to me and I'll take you far. And it will be very easy if you come along willingly, right? And lastly, John the Baptist, who's one of the greatest men to live among women, that's what Jesus said about him. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So here you have John the Baptist. He was older than Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin. We were talking about this on Friday night. His father was a priest, right? Zechariah was a priest in the temple. So John had a lot of reasons to be proud. He could have told Jesus, listen, cuz, my dad's the priest in the family. I got the religious training. I know better than you when it comes to how God operates. But he didn't do that, did he? He didn't put it in Jesus' face. He recognized the value that Jesus had. He understood that he was the Messiah. He said, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes because he knew who Jesus was. And John had a great assessment of who he was. And he even understood that he was somewhat prideful, didn't he? Because he said, I got to go low. I got to decrease and he must increase. We used to tell the kids at I Hope all the time, and they say this a lot in Kansas City, when someone's getting prideful, say to them, go low. 
And sometimes they protest, they get mad, and they'd say, I am going low. They'd say, go lower. <laughs> and I think that's just great advice, isn't it? And so today, I just want to encourage you to go low. The last example, Kwame Kilpatrick, right? This week was a sad week for Detroit. Um, you know, how you feel about it, whether that was justice or not, doesn't matter. All you need to know is what Kwame had to say. Listen to his own words on his shortcomings. He says, it was pride and ego that took over. I had the attitude I couldn't lose. Pride is a killer, isn't it? This man's going to be spending 28 years in prison, separated from his family, because he allowed the sin of pride to have prominence in his life. It was the gravitational pull of his heart, and now it's destroyed him, absolutely destroyed him. And what would history be like had Kwame taken the route and the path that he was truly destined for? That man could have been a great leader. He could have changed this city in so many ways. He had the potential to do it, but he chose the wrong yoke, didn't he? Instead of being yoked to Jesus, he yoked himself to the devil. And so we need to pray for him and pray for yourselves. And so right now, if you want me to pray for you for humility, why don't you stand? And we'll just pray for that right now.